From the mouth breathers to the idiots, from TV to print, this is the Entitled Podcast Network, and this is Entitled Weekend. Welcome to Entitled Weekend. I'm going to start off by reading an email we got last week from Matt. And he says, hope y'all are well today. Recently enjoyed the recent episode of Entitled Weekend. Just wanted to give some thoughts on the preseason game. Defense is going to be really good, but we knew that already. The offensive line performance was poor throughout the game. But these were merely jabroni lineups who won't be starting. Hello, that's going to be a key later on. I don't think the starters will be nearly as bad. Cunningham ruled Paul Perillo's feedback on him was so stupid and not even necessary. He made it seem that Cunningham was only here to be on the practice squad and be helpful to them when they play mobile quarterbacks. Really? They signed him to a ton of money for a UFA and they're going to cut him and put him on the practice squad where he can be signed with another team. We haven't even seen him play wide receiver yet. The Pats broadcast I watched sucked. Zolak in particular was awful. They spent a strangely long time focusing on people's boots and sneakers because that's what I'm interested in when watching the first day of Pat's football in the season, the boots that Gerard Mayo was wearing. What the fuck? I was wearing, I was looking forward to seeing some of the offensive players we've heard about in training camp perform, but it's hard to evaluate anything when the guys up front don't hold up a block. It seemed, it, it appeared to me that Cunningham didn't have a whole ton of plays on his quarterback sheet. Wonder if today's performance will earn him some more reps of quarterback. Overall, I think there's plenty to be excited about. Defense looks good, even if they are the backups. Haven't seen much of the offensive skill players because of the blocking issues, but I'm sure that will sort itself out. Looking forward to the next episode. Thanks for reading. And a lot of that was from last week's game, but yesterday's game had similar, I would say similar um, circumstances, except for the one major circumstance, which was unfortunate, Isaiah Bolden taking a hit. Um recent reports out from the Patriots saying that he's fine and that he's recovering. The Patriots have uh, canceled joint practices with the Titans and they are going to be practicing in Foxborough instead of going to straight to Nashville. Um, so guys, and I'll start, I'll start with you, Rob. Uh, first of all, <laughs> it, it, Matt's first point that he makes about the off, about the offensive line and, how things are going to look different in the regular season than it is the preseason. Why is that such a difficult concept for people to grasp that this is the preseason and that you're not going to see guys like uh, Devontae, uh, Devontae Parker going up for a pass that a beautiful, a beautiful pass that Mac threw for 50 yards, but he's not going to be going up for a pass in the preseason that he probably would have gone for if it was the regular season, if it was the Eagles game. Why is this so difficult for people? I think the reason it's so difficult is because, and I hate to keep pinning all of this on the, the the media themselves that cover the team, but they're just parroting what they hear. You know, it's like, no matter what happens, like the media always tries to find that negative angle that they can stick on it. So rather than say, you know, Andrew Stuber's probably not even going to be on the roster in two weeks, he's out there playing left tackle. When I see that, I'm like cringing every time Matt goes back to throw a pass, because I'm thinking to myself, my God, just get out of this alive, which is probably what all the players are thinking too. Like, you're right, Devontae Parker's not laying out for that ball. If that were week one against Philadelphia, he catches that ball. I think he dives and he makes that catch. But I mean, we just saw with Tyquan Thornton, he made a diving catch in practice and hurt his shoulder. You know, why? Are, they're, they're not going to do that. They're just not. And the fact that people can't wrap their heads around these the, the offensive line that was out there yesterday is not the offensive line that's going to be out there week one against the Eagles. I mean, how many people did you see be like, the Eagles front's going to dominate this O-line? I'm like, this O-line isn't going to be the, even on the roster, probably. You know, it's just, I don't understand why people just don't get it. You know, it's it, this isn't the first season that the NFL has existed. We, and we, it's, it's like we regurgitate the same bullshit Every single year, no matter what happens, it's always the same thing. Every single year, people, they make, they fall into the same traps every year. And it's, you're right. It's, it's mind boggling and it's aggravating as hell. I don't know why I let it get to me so much, but I do. So, but yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Mark, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's the time between 
football season, maybe because it's so much longer than, you know, hockey and basketball, they return pretty much at the blink of an eye when the se- their season ends in, in June, late June-ish, and they return in October. So it's not that big of a gap. From football, it goes from February to August, where you see people in helmets. So that's a long time. So maybe a lot of that's part of it. I don't know. But I think a lot of that, and Rob, you alluded to it, is the media. And I think a major part of that are idiots on on 98.5 The Sports Clan and NBC Takes Boston. And one of those idiots happens to be Scott Zolak, who Matt mentioned in his email, who is just absolutely terrible and should not have. I, I, he's, he, I feel like he's drunk 98% of the time he's on television. And here he is talking about recent um, pickup, Ezekiel Elliott, saying how, well, actually seeing how he's just going to be there to block. What are your thoughts on Zeke Elliott? I mean, I think it's what, a million, million dollar uh, signing bonus. It's a million dollar base, and then it goes up from there. Right. How do According. you get How do you get the other four? Uh, playing every game. Touchdowns. Um, I think he's block. I, I think he's brought in the block. Honestly, I think your offensive line has so many issues. He's going to be a scam back for you. Well, that furthers my point. You're going to get his ass up and running. And he's going to understand every protection, and he's going to be a third down back. That's sad. Oh, we had to bring in Zeke Elliott because we know we can't block. Can't block. It speaks David to May. a poorly constructed roster on the, offense. The, the, yeah. So now signing signing a guy who had double-digit touchdowns last year is a bad thing because you've concocted a scenario in your mind where he was signed only to block, which is not true because immediately in the practice in the first practice, he's they're doing red zone drills and they're scoring touchdowns left and right. A lot of those have to do with Ezekiel Elliott carrying the ball. Like, what are we doing? I, I don't get it. I, I... And the funniest thing, too, is that ingrained in that horrid take from Zolak is like a nugget of truth. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott is fantastic in pass protection. He will help them a lot there. Uh, He'll be great at blitz pickup. uh, But that's not the sole reason he was brought in. And Zolak does know that deep down. He's not he he's not that dumb. Uh, You know, so uh, he, but, you know, you got to give your takes for uh, the folks at 98.5 uh, midday, I, I guess. But Ezekiel Elliott was brought in because he's going to be that compliment to Ramondre Stevenson that the Patriots thought they had in uh, Damian Harris. But Damian Harris just could not stay on the field, unfortunately. Uh, but that change of pace, this is not Dallas Ezekiel Elliott. Like, people who are excited are not excited because they they – believe that he's going to be a 1600 yard back. Like, like people are excited because he still has a lot in the tank. Uh, he was run to the ground by, uh, by Mike McCarthy. Uh, you know, that, that, that will not happen here. He'll, you'll have, uh, you know, a split of the, of the touches with Ramondre Stevenson. And again, by the end of last season, Patriots fans were remarking how worn down Stevenson looked. They were using him all the time between screen passes uh, and, uh, you know, he, he was always in for blitz pickup. Yeah, he was worn down by the end of the year. And if you saw just based off his one tweet, Stevenson's excited about this. So he's excited to split carries with Elliot. Elliot's going to be great in the red zone. Uh, like you mentioned, Shaq, he was already getting red zone touches in his first practice, like right off the plane. So, yeah, it's, it's a, a great pickup for them. And it wasn't, oh, how sad they have to bring this guy in to block because they can't block. Give me a break, Bertrand. The thing about Zeke, too, that I think that those idiots didn't pay any attention to is inside the, like, 10-yard line, he was one of the best backs in the NFL last year. You know, he scored touchdowns on eight of his 11 carries inside the three, which was the most in the league. So this is a guy who's a short yardage. That's what he is now, you know? And the fact that he's not going to be the 1,600-yard back, everybody keeps saying that. Of course he's not going to be. He's, you know, but he's still only 27 years old. You know, it's not like he's 35. You know, I mean, this is one of those guys who can come in in short yarded situations when it's, you know, fourth and one, you know, third and two, that sort of thing. And running behind Trent Brown and Cole Strange and David Andrews and those guys, he's going to get he's going to pick up a lot of those third and shorts. He's going to pick up a lot of those goal line touchdown runs that were going to Ramondre. And I think it's you're right. I mean, he got everybody knows he got worn down last year. This is a perfect pickup. I think this is exactly what they needed, because to me, it looked like Kevin Harris just wasn't 
kind of what we what we all thought he was. I mean, granted, I mean, what was he, a fifth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, something like that? He was. I know he was a late-round pick, so I mean, it's not like you were expecting him to come in and set the world on fire, but that's exactly what they were missing was somebody who can, you know, like in the 18 AFC Championship game, I think one of the biggest reasons they won that game is the fact that they had a Rex Burkhead who was came in fresh as a daisy off the sideline when everybody else was gassed and they were able to, you know, hand the ball to him and he was running guys over and guys were just tired. Now imagine handing it to Zeke Elliott in the fourth quarter, who's only got three carries on him all day long and everybody else is out there sucking wind. You hand the ball to him. I mean, I, I think it's a great pickup. And of course he's there for more than blocking. I, I, I want, do you guys really think these guys believe this bullshit or is this just like, they can't right? Zolak played in the NFL. Granted, he's not the smartest guy in the world, but he can't possibly believe this stuff. Can he? You wouldn't think like, you wouldn't think that he actually believes it. Like it, it has to just be, filling their take quota for uh, the the, uh, the people at Beasley Media. But, uh, like, it's it doesn't, to, you know, what Shaq was pointing out earlier, people hear it and they they adopt that talking point because they hear Zolak, oh, this guy played in the NFL, he believes this. It, it speaks to the lack of intelligence of their listener base uh, as well as the state of media today. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, if you want to take a quick peek at the uh, lack of intelligence of, of the fan base, take a quick look on Patriots Twitter every once in a while, and that'll uh, that'll reinforce that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. P- Patriots X is it makes makes me makes me want to take X because it's it's terrible. It, it's it's so bad. Um, and, and speaking of terrible, um, back to NBC takes Boston, and this is the clip I wanted to play earlier about the offensive line and how you know bad it is again preseason. Michael Wenu, uh, even like I believe only David Andrews is the guy who's been there, um, at least for the first couple of quarters in the first few games. But the other starters are not there. Cole Strange and and uh, Michael Wenu. But again, offensive line bad, which means it's going to be bad. Phil, what stood out to you about the Patriots, specifically on offense, just seeing Mac Jones out there for that first series or so and what he was able to do under center? I thought there were some positive signs. You know, it was nice to see early in the game him get Kendrick Bourne involved. It feels to me like Kendrick Bourne has really got a solid grip on that number three receiver role for the Patriots now behind Devontae Parker and Juju Smith-Schuster, two guys who just got paid by the Patriots. But I come back to the offensive line, and unfortunately, it's been a conversation all summer long, Ted, when you have two of your three starter. Ted Ted being Ted Johnson, so just prepare yourself for some CTE nonsense. Quote-unquote starter drives get blown up by sacks. One, City So just gets bull rushed basically right into Mac Jones's lap. And then the other, Andrew Stuber just Ooh. getting Ooh. undressed. Ooh. And really putting your quarterback in a very precarious position with the possibility of getting injured coming off the blind side that way, it's hard for me to get too far into their night offensively without just bringing up the tackle situation once again. Doesn't this, Phil, this kind of this game right here, those three possessions that the offense had out there with Mac Jones kind of encapsulate the entire kind of training camp? You saw some flashes, boy. You saw some. I mean, you talk about Kendrick Bourne getting involved. That was an RPO. RPO, baby. That's Phil and I have been asking for these guys to, Mac Jones, he can do more RPOs. You saw that. You saw DeMario Douglas explode a little bit. You you, you could see, uh, you know, you could see some things that they were doing that were like, okay, they got they got something figured out. And then the offensive line, who is, is you talk about the Achilles heel for this team. It is going to be their undoing is this offensive line because they've shown some flashes. They look like they have maybe some guys, Josh Booty, and then also DeMario Douglas, maybe. Who is Josh Booty? Who is Josh Booty? It, the name is Kayshawn Booty. It's not. It's not Josh Booty. Be surprising and, and be able to to help out and, and maybe add get some explosive plays for this offense. And so that was that was disappointing to kind of see what we've all been seeing at training camp. And then also I was a little bit disappointed. I think in Mac Jones. Look at the line of scrimmage, getting guys lined up, and all that stuff was great. He overthrew uh, Henry, uh, uh, Hunter Henry, excuse me, uh, early in that drive. And then he also overthrew, I think, Devontae Parker. So a couple miscues from Mac Jones as well. But, man, if he doesn't have time to throw the football, you guys. I, I, I don't know what to say. I really don't. Like, this is on, this is on television. Like, there, there, are, there are people behind this that are like, yes, this is good to go on the air. We're great. It's great. How? How is this possible? Oh, we're not done with NBC Takes Boston, by the way. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Rob. What did you want to say? 
Oh, I thought you had another clip coming. I was, like, I was getting ready. To oh, beat no, my we'll, head we'll get to that wall. one. We'll get we'll get to that one later. That one that one's the cream of the crop. Yeah, I mean, what the, what you're hearing there is they're acting like Andrew Stuber is the starting left tackle for the 2023 New England Patriots or 2024 New England Patriots, whatever year we're in. You know, that's what they're acting like there. And the other thing too is, you know, I would say any team in the NFL, if you get to their second and third string offensive lines, they're going to have a problem. So. I'm not all that like I, would I love to see more depth on the Patriots O-line? Of course I would. And if Andrew Stuber ever does come in during a regular season game, it's not going to be ideal. You know, it's not going to be something that we're all excited about, but he's, he's not going to be on the team more than likely city. So is a rookie, but these guys are not going to be on the field unless something catastrophic happens to this team. And they're acting as though, and they're, they're spitting these takes out as though this is your starting offensive line, which is, absolutely ridiculous and the other thing too is if one guy gets hurt and one of these backups is in the game it's different than having three out of five the third string guys that are on the offensive line of course they're going to get run over you know I, I mean I'm really excited to see what this team looks like when the whole starting offensive line is back when Onwenu's back when Trent Brown's playing when you know whoever it is they stick at right tackle is you know is in the game you know, I think it's going to be good. I think they're going to be fine on the offensive line unless somebody gets hurt and then it'll be a problem. But uh, I mean, who on, who in the NFL has a roster deep enough to where you get to their third string tackles and everything's copacetic. It's just foolishness. Absolutely. I, and here's my problem with this whole segment, because no one is going to sit here and, te- and, and tell you what we've seen through two preseason games from the offensive line is good. Like no one is trying to tell you that. But can I please, especially from someone who played in the National Football League and Ted Johnson, uh, can I get a little bit of context? Can I get a little bit of nuance? How about instead of just sitting there saying, oh, my God, this is a disaster. Uh, you know, this, It's going to set this team back. How about you mention, at, like, like Rob pointed out, Andrew Stuber is not going to be on this roster. And you know, that's the guy who gave up that strip sack to, uh, to, uh, on, on Mac Jones. How about you mention the fact that Riley Reef, who was signed as a right tackle, they've actually moved him inside. He's playing right guard, and he graded out incredibly last night. Uh, you know, no no pressures, no hurries, and that leads me to believe that maybe they might be thinking about having Mike Onwenu play right tackle, um, and uh, when when he's healthy again, and that they have been uh, you know trying out City So there because he's someone who was a he's a converted guard. He played guard all throughout college. They they picked him with the intention of trying him out at tackle, and guess what the perfect time to do that is preseason. Okay. Like you're, you're giving him real NFL reps at a new position for the first time. Yeah. He's going to struggle. Like I, I, the lack of context continues to just blow my mind that there's like, well, this is the, they're basic. Like Rob said, they're basically giving their viewers the impression if they don't know better, that that's the unit that's going to be out there week one. And in terms of Johnson's, uh, his issues with Mac Jones, I mean, yeah, the, the Hunter Henry throw, he rushed it. It was a, it was a bad throw. It, uh, no argument there. The throw to Dante Parker was beautiful. Uh, and and we, br- we brought up that, you know, if this is a regular season game, uh, Parker probably lays out for that and catches it. But, I mean, that that's a beautiful throw with two guys almost draped on him. That's a fantastic throw. And if you're going to bring up what you don't like from Mac, why don't you bring up what you like from him? How about the fact that he audibles the line of scrimmage, makes a great call, to check to a run and Ramondre Stevenson runs for 25 yards. Uh, Like that's the type of stuff that was not happening last year. They weren't changing things at the line of scrimmage because the Matt Patricia offense was uh, setting the game of football back uh, by about 50 years. Uh, So like, let's mention the things that he did really well. How about the fact that he maneuvered himself uh, really well in a collapsing pocket uh, to give him uh, the time to make that throw to Parker, by the way. I mean, there's so many positives that you can take and instead they just focus on, well, here's th- this offensive line is is a failure already. I I just I just love the fact that people people again people just don't understand football, and I think that's one of the main reasons. And the fact they don't want to understand the nuances because nuances are boring. Nuances are are they don't you know they're not dropping your pants wet. You know Patrick Mahomes incom- incomplete pass in the preseason it's not it's not that so if it's not that it's boring and uh 
again, I want to go back to um, Isaiah Bolden and the fact that the game immediately, uh, Bill Belichick and Matt LaFleur immediately ended the game after that. And I, I'm glad that the NFL went along with that as well. And um, again, prayers go out to Isaiah Bolden. And thankfully that he's, you know, he was able to tweet earlier this morning. So he's clearly doing good. And that's a great thing. Um, but also these idiots on, on X who are, are, being assholes and saying, well, well, why are, why are they shutting down a game for this guy? And they're shutting down a game because one person got hurt. First of all, it's a preseason game again, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and secondly, yeah. Oh, and, and, and then they're comparing DeMar Ham. I, I don't even want to get into that. It's just, it's just all so disgusting. Um, but the next thing I want to talk about is um, speaking of X, uh, this actually, I think, has a, has a has a big uh, connotation to um, media criticism, and I think um, I, if if you're not on X, then you don't know that uh, Elon Musk um, announced, uh, I think, a couple days ago that the block feature is going away, and it'll only be the mute feature. And you know, I was I was kind of being like, well, why? What, what, what's that going to mean? But but. A lot of people made good points that if the block feature goes away, the people who've blocked you come become unblocked. And I think I have about I think I have about a hundred media members who've blocked me. <laughs> and it, it's kind of like that Birdman gif, you know, him him just looking around and papping his you know his hands and licking his lips. It's like once these people are unblocked, I'm gonna go in. <laughs> So, who who are the media members? That would be, first of all, who any who any media members have you blocked, and who do you want to get to? Because the first one is Jim Murray, for me. Yeah, um, I have quite a few that have me blocked. The two that I'm really looking forward to chewing on once the unblock happens is Greg Bedard blocked me almost right out of the shoot, and uh, Giardi blocked me too. And now that they're one and the same, I'm really looking forward to uh, to jumping Absolutely. in there and just shitting all over both of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm i'm blocked by jim murray uh so that uh that'll be fun uh i'm also d uh blocked by Dovebot, uh dove cleman <laughs> so uh, i'll get that back i'm also blocked by mike silver for some reason and uh, dan graziano uh i i i don't oh, know yeah, why some I'm of these people blocked too. me but uh yeah i'm looking forward to being uh unblocked by a few of these people so i can uh you know kind of see the, some of the dumb shit that they're saying yeah, just Justina Anderson from I don't know if she still works at ESPN. She blocked me, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. I think she blocked me too. I forget what I did. <laughs> it must have been I, something uh, weird. Uh, Dion Lewis will see my tweets again because he blocked me after I uh, pushed back at him after the, <laughs> his uh, his whole. Uh, that's what happens when you go cheap thing. Uh, so uh, thanks for being a. <laughs> member of Super Bowl 51, Dion, but besides that, fuck you. Yeah, one other thing, too, is um, kudos to Asante Samuel for not blocking me because I lay him out every time he tweets something, yeah. and he must have me muted or he just doesn't give a shit, one or the other, but if there's any guy who absolutely um, deserved to be blocked by, it's Asante Samuel, and he has not blocked me yet, so... <laughs> And before we move on to slamming these people, I want to I want to give credit to uh, someone who we've been talking about in our chat, who I think deserves credit because um, he used to be, um, I don't know, maybe it was something about him having a a private account, but now that he's he works for CLNS, but he's actually one of the good guys. I think Taylor Kyle's. I've really appreciated his insights and his tweets recently. So um, this is. This is a media criticism podcast, but it's also, I, I believe, in due credit for people who deserve it. And he's one of those. And he's done a good job. I've enjoyed seeing his uh, his breakdowns. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing how when you stop just tossing out takes that uh, people will, uh, you know, when they're when they're just you know giving you genuine you know breakdown of what they see, how much better things are. Uh, which is ever which is what everyone says that Mike Giardi does, even though it's uh that's a load of shit. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I've really enjoyed um his Twitter uh his X account and his uh he does the video breakdowns. I actually read his breakdown of the game last night, and his criticisms are fair. 
which, you know, I, I know for me, that's all I ask for, you know, like it, I'm not saying this team is above, above reproach or Bill Belichick's above reproach, but make the criticisms fair. Don't make them just disingenuous nonsense. And that's what I really admire about the Taylor Kyle's um, coverage is that, you know, even when he criticizes them, it's a fair criticism. Yeah. Like it's not, that's not too much to ask. Like, uh, because the reaction, the pushback from, from the media fanboys is like, Oh, you just don't like your team being criticized. I never said that. I'm the first to criticize uh, something when it, when it, uh, when it sticks out to me, you know, I, uh, I've taken plenty of shots at Matt Patricia <laughs> over the uh, last several months. Uh, like if something doesn't work, uh, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with, uh, with pro- providing, you know, actual constructive criticism and, and, you know, what Taylor often does, like you said, Rob, it, it's fair as opposed to just building a straw man argument and uh, Oh my God, this offensive line uh, is in shambles again, just when there's no context and when you're just throwing out a blanket statement to uh, drive clicks that's what people have a problem with. Not when you point out legitimate holes or flaws uh, and, you know, point out what might uh, be able to fix them. Exactly. And another guy who um, has, has impressed me too is Mark Daniels. You know, sometimes he wanes off a little bit on that, but he's been good too. He wrote a, a, a good article about Mac Jones the other day that I appreciated. Um Let's switch gears for just a moment on the Patriots and let's talk about the Red Sox. Um, we, we we started talking before we started recording about they're killing the Yankees. And but speaking of of killing, uh, John Tomasi, who should not be on television in any shape, way, shape, or form or capacity, um, he, he should be sued for libel and should not be on television. Um, but NBC Takes Boston is the home of all liars and thieves and 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 just irredeemable people so here he and surprisingly phil perry talking about the red sox and their prospects i think he is quite happy about this and if you were to ask me as you possibly would what it means more to him this prospect ranking or the team's current standings i would say it's not even close it's the prospect ranking they're building for the future and that's fine But it's now at the expense of this season and last season and the 2020 season. And yes, 21, you gave us something that was pretty great. But how many more of these seasons is ownership willing to put up with uh, before you say, well, when is the farm going to pay off? My big concern is, is he going to be able to take the next step of using some of these guys? So far, Bloom has been unwilling to pull the trigger on any prospects, let alone one in their top 10. Tomasi, how good are these guys? Am I wrong to be a little bit underwhelmed? I see they're they're fifth overall. That's great. But then we just showed you the top four prospects. You got one at 93 overall, so sort of just barely barely slips in, and we have no idea what he is or or what he can do. Uh, The other, you know, number three is is 80th on the list. And again, again, I get it. As a group, they seem to be pretty impressive. But how impressive are they exactly as somebody who knows more? Yeah, this is a great question. And I've actually asked people in other organizations this over the last couple of weeks, especially around the trade deadline. And opinions run. Some are high on them. They think Marcelo Meyer is can't miss. Although it's interesting, he was a top five prospect at one point this year, and he has slipped to 15th. Roman Anthony is doing the exact opposite. He is shooting up the list, but he's, you know, at high A. So it's hard to say. I think the one area where there's a lot of skepticism is pitching what do they have on the pitching side lot of lot of disagreement there will Heimblum ever get rid of any of these guys to help the to help the big league club yeah the very quick answer to that is you can't keep them all if you have a top 30 all 30 of them are not going to play for you especially at the same time you have to move them you have to use them that's what the Rays do it's what the Dodgers do it's certainly what the Padres have tried to do you need to do it too okay so wasn't Tomasi just saying that Heinz Vizen, like he sees Heinz Vizen, and now he's back to saying dumb shit? Like uh, Bell and Duran and Cassius, they play every day. So, I mean, every superstar turned into a, was a prospect at once. So, it they, they, they don't know, Bill Perry doesn't know football and should not even talk, be talking baseball. And again, John Tomasi should not be talking at all. So, go ahead, Rob. I don't even know where to start with that. I mean, you know, <laughs> Tomasi shouldn't even be on the airwaves. Imagine his interview at NBC Takes Boston. You know, imagine how that interview process went. I mean, it's just absurd. But, you know, this 
it's just mind boggling to me. You know, it's absolutely mind boggling listening to that. You know, the, the Red Sox are three games out of a playoff spot right now. <laughs> you know, it's like they're acting like they're, you know, 30 Bottom games the out. They're acting like yeah. they're the Kansas City Royals right now. They're three games out of a playoff spot. They've won seven out of 10. You know, they beat the Yankees at least two out of three. They're playing right now. Um, there's a chance they could sweep the Yankees. Everything's right out in front of them. They got everybody back. They got all their guys healthy again. It's not inconceivable they make a run this year and get into the postseason. Next year, I think they look even better. When you look across that infield, you'll have Devers, you'll have Meyer, Story, and Casas. That's as good of an offensive infield as you're going to find probably in the American League. I, I just, you know, and these are the same people that shit on the Yoshida signing when they signed him, which now looks to me like one of the biggest bargains in professional sports. You know, it's just, it's, it just goes back to what we were saying earlier. They can't, they automatically look at, look at things through the lens of how can we spin this to shit on the teams? And I can't, I, it must be what the, what the majority of the fan base is looking for. It must be what's driving ratings because there's no contrarians out there. There's no, there's no, you know, competitor to NBC takes Boston. That's actually, you know, putting out content for a, a the part of the fan base that has an IQ above nine, you know, and it's just, it's, bizarre to me that pe- i don't understand the people that consume this that listen to this you know because i know we don't it, and i don't know anyone the, who does yeah it's the it's it's the people who slice who slice meat and cheese for a living and and that that this is their only source of entertainment uh, i mean it, it, that's that's prob- probably something to that but i mean it, like rob said i don't know where to start here first of all just to pick out that one piece about uh, Marcelo Mayer, who, uh, oh, well, you know, at one point he was fifth, now he's 15th. So first of all, that has a lot to do with the fact that that was before there was a the most recent draft. And a bunch of the guys went in the top five immediately leapt over him on uh, on the in the prospect rankings because they're major league ready. The two or three guys from LSU who got picked in the, in the top uh, three or four, uh, like they're going to be in the big leagues like in April. Uh, so like that, that's why they leapt over him on the chart. So it, 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 they're like, oh, well, this guy, uh, they're again, giving you the impression that this guy uh, is suddenly not as, uh, as much of a can't miss prospect because other prospects who uh, were just added to the pool who now qualify are ranked above him. It's, it's, it's really dumb. But I also don't understand the timing for this segment. This segment was two and a half weeks after the trade deadline. Uh, the, the trade deadline has come and gone. Why are we talking about a hell? How come they're not moving any prospects? Uh, it, it's it's so dumb. And again, the lack of context, like Rob pointed out, they're three games out of a playoff spot. Has has this been an incredible season? No, it, it's been very up and down. Uh, at times, they've performed like a very dumb baseball team on, on the diamond, especially defensively. Uh, they've had some moments that just make you uh, like you you cringe, uh, but so much of their shortcomings have to do with the fact that the team that was put together has not been healthy for the majority of the season, you know, and should uh, they have banked on Chris sale being healthy for 30 starts? Probably not that uh, his track record has been, uh, he's going to get hurt, but there's nothing you can do about that. You know, Trevor story was uh, supposed to be healthy. And then, you know, they make the decision that he needs to have the, uh, the surgery, uh, you know, for, uh, to really preserve his arm strength. And by the way, he looks fantastic now that he's finally back defensively. He actually looks like a shortstop again. So, uh, you know, that that's cause for, uh, you know, for celebration for the future. Uh, but yeah, they've, they've been hurt for the majority of the year and they've taken risks that didn't pay off. You know, Corey Kluber was a disaster of a signing. They, they thought that he could provide them, you know, $10 million worth of value. He's provided them 50 cents worth of value. Uh, but you know, that the model tells them, you know, they, they rely on, on statistical models that the people who bash them cannot comprehend. And the model told them that was a, uh, you know, a, an acquisition that, uh, that was worth making. It didn't pan out. Uh, but the the idea that that Heim Bloom does not care about the major league roster is just so asinine. You know, uh, he has put competitive teams on the field uh, for the last three years. Uh, do you want them to be much better than that as a big market team? Sure, they're building to that. That is way more on ownership than on Heim Bloom. Ownership traded away Mookie Betts because they didn't want to pay him. Okay, you know that that was Heim Bloom's first you know, task as, uh, as the chief baseball officer, uh, was to trade away uh, Mookie Betts and have attached David Price's contract to him 
so you could dump more salary. What kind of return were you going to get there? And by the way, you know, they ended up getting Connor Wong back in that deal, who looks like a starting catcher for them. Alex Verdugo, who I'm kind of uh, uh, out on, but, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of other people like him. But the idea that he just, uh, you know, doesn't care about the major league roster is just so asinine. Uh, and they're going to have a lot of flexibility this offseason. It's kind of a make or break offseason, I think, for Bloom. You got to put together a really strong team this year, that they're going to have the flexibility to do so. And in the meantime, they're playing meaningful games as we approach September. All right. Uh, our counterparts in New York can't say that. So, uh, you know, th there's the idea that, uh, that that dollars spent equals wins. I mean, look at uh, look at the Yankees and Mets. Look at the Padres. Uh, the Angels went all in at the deadline and they've been worse since, uh, you know, like so it's a it's an unpredictable sport. So I, I hate people talking about it in absolutes like that. Yeah. And and. Somebody made a, a great point on X about this. It's um, the Boston Hot Take Sports Media in Industrial Complex Playbook. Red Sox get middling to poor farm rankings. Bloom has failed at the one thing he was supposed to do. Red Sox get strong farm rankings. Bloom has held on to his prospects too long. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's damn if you do, damn if you don't. So with that being said, um, yeah, so Tomasi, go fuck yourself. And Phil Perry, just stop talking baseball and really football too. Um, let's get to something a little fun. Rob brought this up um, in our chat earlier. Um, I haven't been watching Hard Knocks, but he, I think you have, Rob. And it's just complete cringe. And I've been re researching some of the clips before we started. And boy, a lot of it is just really bad. Um <laughs> There, there's this moment right here with Aaron Rodgers and, and Bryce Young that I'm I'm 99%, 99.9% certain scripted. What's up, stud? You doing? Things going well? Yeah. Good. Bless, can't complain. Yeah. How you like everything? I love it. It's been amazing. Crazy when you're in one place forever. I can imagine. I can imagine. I hope that for you. Well, have fun out there, bro. Appreciate Great to finally meet you, man. Big fan of yours. Same here. Yeah, thanks, bro. There's a cut between that and have fun out there, bro. So <laughs> it, I, I feel like there was like a 20-second awkward pause that the editors had to go, oh, oh, we got to cut that. <laughs> I'm telling you, this has been one of the cringiest things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it just like the very first episode opens with Aaron Rodgers coming out of the tunnel to go out for practice. And he's basically doing a mic check with the HBO guys being like, you know, does this sound okay? Is this gonna be okay? It's like, this is an Aaron Rodgers infomercial from start to finish. But the one thing as a Patriots fan that I'm thoroughly enjoying seeing is just the, the certainty that Robert Sala is in way over his head. This guy has no idea what he's doing. It is, it's insanity. It's insanity. It's uh, it's very reminiscent of when the Cleveland Browns were on when um, was it Hugh Jackson was their head coach at the time, I think was the guy. Uh, and you could just see it, you know, his assistant coaches were about ready to get into a fist fight on the sideline. And it was like, you know, you could just see he had no control over what was going on. And Robert Sala is just, he might as well just have a big foam Jets number one hand on and just be waving it around on the sidelines for all the good he does. He runs around speaking in these, you know, strange platitudes that don't really mean anything. And, you know, the entire team is just, they almost look rudderless when you watch them practice. I mean, it's great as a Patriots fan watching this, but just the Aaron Rodgers stuff is just so over the top. It's 70%. Look how great Aaron Rodgers is. Then the the defensive coordinator talks about how great Aaron Rodgers is. Sala talks about how great Aaron Rodgers is. Aaron Rodgers talks about how great Aaron Rodgers is. And it's just, that's the entirety of this. And it's, you can almost see it coming. The minute this team hits any sort of adversity at all, there is absolutely zero leadership on that field to, to pull them out of it. Rodgers is not a leader. Sala might as well not even show up to work for all the good he does. I mean, this is, it is, they had that the one clip where, um, Ralph Macchio from the Karate Kid goes out there and starts dropping like Mr. Miyagi, like, like motivational quotes. And these, they're, they're like, the, the team's like looking at him like, what? <laughs> you know, like it was just, it was, and this whole thing is bananas. As a Pats fan, it's great to watch because I really, 
you know, and the, of course the Ben Bolins and the medias of the mediates of the world think that this, this Jets team is, uh, you know, a, a 17 to no juggernaut that's just going to race its way to the, to, to the Super Bowl. I have a feeling and, you know, I don't know what the line is. I think they might get boat raced in the opening week against Buffalo. I think Buffalo might just come out and just put it on them in pretty good shape. So it is if you if you're if, if you want to watch it for the comedic value or as a Patriots fan, just to set your mind at ease that, you know, we should be able to handle the Jets this year. It's it's a good watch. Other than that, it's one of the worst pieces of production I've ever seen. Uh, to your point, Rob, on week one, that's the one time that I will root thoroughly for Buffalo. I, I do want Buffalo to just absolutely rip them to shreds week one. Um, but I I have been, uh, and people can pull up my tweets. Uh, uh, they're, they're all out there. I have been on the Jets will not be remotely as good as as people are uh, crowning them to be bandwagon since the, the Rodgers trade happened. Eight or nine wins. That's that's what I think they're going to end up with this year. Uh, Salah is a big reason why. And I, uh, hard knocks, like you said, Rob, it, it has kind of punctuated that for me because I already didn't have a high opinion of him before this. But I'm like, yeah, this guy, great defensive coordinator. Go back to that. That, that, that you'll have a, he'll have a long career in the NFL as a defensive coordinator. He's very good there. Uh, his players love him. Um, you know, but when it comes down to actually running a, a franchise, you can't be a buddy-buddy with everyone like you were when you were the, the Niners DC. Uh, and you can already tell there's a weird dynamic where, like, Rodgers is running that organization. They gave him everything he wanted because they think they can be Tampa. They think, like, oh, we'll bring in this great quarterback. We'll let him call the shots, and, uh, and we'll get a Super Bowl out of it. This is going to be great. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. It, it worked that way because Tom is the greatest, and he willed that uh, – that, uh, Tampa team to that uh, to a championship with Bruce Arians as their friggin' head coach. Uh, you cannot do that with Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers and Super Bowls like <laughs> those two don't mix. All right, uh, you know. So I I'm very much on the. Uh, I agree with Rob. I think that when this Jets team faces uh, adversity, they will implode. Which, by the way, could be the first four weeks of the season. Their first four games are very tough. Yep. All right, they got. Uh, Buffalo, they got uh, Cowboys, they have the Patriots, and then they have, I think, Kansas City uh, uh, is their their week four game. So, like, they, they can start off like one and three. You, you making the playoffs then? I don't think so. Yeah, to say nothing of the fact that everything that people are saying about the Patriots' offensive line in the preseason is actually true of the Jets' starting offensive line. Their starting offensive line is a huge liability for them, so much so that Salah had to cancel the second day of joint practices with the Bucks because he didn't want his quarterbacks getting killed because they couldn't block anybody, you know, and listening to not just Salah, but his defensive coordinator and Nathaniel Hackett, listening to them try to talk to the players. It's like listening to your like 60 year old uncle who just got divorced, who's trying to like relate to the 20 year old, like cousin, you know, like, like he just, Stop do you want to hear? Do you want? Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear this? This absolutely cringeworthy speech that he gave to the offensive line. Let's hear it. it. You know, obviously, it's 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 so contrived and and so generic. Listen to this. So last night, I went back in my office. I turned off my lights and I would just watch a silent tape. All right, you guys know how important to me the silent tape is because the silent tape represents who the fuck we are. Defense, our style was all over this bitch yesterday. And it was awesome to see because that's our standard. That's who we are. All right. Offense. Guys, it was our first fucking opportunity to change the stink that's been in this organization for a very long time on the offensive side of the ball. You can have a Hall of Fame quarterback. You can have two $10 million plus receivers. You can have a reigning offensive rookie of the year. You can have all kinds of skill in the running back room. None of it fucking matters until the big boys up front change who the fuck we are. We as coaches, we as an organization can't want it more than you. And I'm watching that tape all night last night trying to find something to show that we're fucking changing and it didn't show and it was our first op. And I'd love to say we got another practice, but you know what? It's like Sunday. You don't get Monday morning to go redo. It's getting your mind right to represent who the fuck you are every single fucking time you are on the fucking field. We'll fix what footwork. We'll fix all that shit. But you can't fix shit until we know you're giving everything you got. Making it fucking hurt. Straining and fighting for everything you fucking got. Because we will go as you go. We proved last year that we're a 7-10 and 10 football team 
with a really fucking good defense and a mediocre offense. That's that's about what we proved. Flip that fucking shit. We don't get any more second chances. Yeah. Wow. So uh, if you curse <laughs> a lot, that means you're how that shows how intense you are if you curse a lot. Everything he's talking about is the coach's responsibility. <laughs> you know, everything he's bitching right? about is the coach's responsibility. They're going to get killed, man. They're going to get killed. Why aren't you making my life easier? <laughs> I, I, oh, it, man. It's all it, like I'm never a huge hard knocks guy to begin with. There's been some seasons that have been pretty entertaining. I actually like the Lions um, one. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that one. Uh, but anytime the Jets are on there, it just – it doesn't matter who the the regime is, whether it's Rex, whether it's now Sala. They just they're so easy to laugh at. Like I, I, I just I don't take this team seriously. I don't. Uh, and I'm not here saying that the Patriots don't have uh, some holes that they have to fix themselves. But I trust in the leadership that they have put in place to do that. And especially after last year, Bill Belichick said, you know, all right, I'm going to bring in Bill O'Brien, and, uh, and and there's no one I trust more. He's run an organization. Uh, you know, he he knows offense. He's gonna you know he, he's gonna Come in here. He's going to fix the the issues that we have on offense. I trust the leadership that they have in place there. I don't trust any of these people coaching uh, with the Jets. Uh, uh, Sala is going to be a defensive coordinator next year uh, or a linebackers coach next year. I marked that down on August 20th, 2023. Sala will be coaching uh, linebackers or defense for another team next year. Yeah, it, it's 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 going to be so such a great downfall, and I'm 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 here for it. I, I'm I'm excited to see it. Um, and and to wrap up, I want to end with this. Uh, I, I I was showing this, and I was like, well, isn't this something? Well, there are so many uh tweets, uh, Twitter X people who are sports analysis, sports analysts, whatever you want to call them, who. You know, they love to pretend that they know more than everybody else, especially those who are on the national side of things. And one of these guys is Dan Orlovsky, who is just, I mean, he, he's infamous for not knowing where the end zone is and going to the back of it. And for, this guy has a prominent role on ESPN, but yet here he is selling you snake oil, basically. He's selling you, well, Hear, hear it for yourself and see what you think. And now you might be asking, well, what is this thing? Why do you do it? A shoulder reliever. Now, most of you may know me from being on ESPN a ton, but before that, I played professional football for 12 years. I played quarterback Barely. in the NFL for 12 years. And I want to Barely. be very active still. I want to be active um, everyday basis when it comes to working out. I love to play golf. I love to play catch with my kids. Um, but I had discomfort in my shoulder. I had pain in my shoulder. Did I spend some time with chiropractors and therapists? Absolutely. Was there some benefit? Yes, but very temporary. So I want to introduce you to this product. Again, this is the package that it comes in. It's a great little case, shoulder reliever. Now inside of it, you're going to see this device with this ball, and then there's it's a rope with balls on it. That's what it is. It's for two. And do you know how much it is? It's two hundred dollars. <laughs> like, Listen, this guy. This guy thinks he knows more than the coaches, especially Bill Belichick. He likes to criticize him a lot. But you're over here selling balls and ropes. I mean, this is the guy who number one uh, was like like uh, going on EEI last year and saying he wanted to be the Patriots' offensive coordinator, uh, but. Yeah. Listen, I can never look at Dan Orlovsky the same. The, the running out of the end zone thing is gone for me. I don't even care about that anymore. This is a guy who got on social media to thousands or even millions of people, depending on who saw it, and admitted that he uses the same towel for 30 days before switching to a new one. Like 30 days. I don't think I used the same towel three times before I, I, I switched to a new one. He uses it for a month straight. Uh, and yeah, the, the, the fact that he's hawking these products, it was actually kind of hilarious because he was like, I threw so many touchdowns in the NFL. He threw 15 career touchdowns, by the way, in, in that 12-year career. I threw so many touchdowns that I need this uh, this product. I'm like, get, get that money, I guess, dude, uh, you know, product placement. But it's like, I, I can't, I can never take this guy seriously. He also looks like he's holding in a fart anytime he talks. <laughs> well, I want to know who the guy is that hired him as their pitch man. Like what criteria were you looking for? Cause typically if you're going to hire a pitch man, 
especially a former NFL player, it's somebody who was decent at least, or, or if you're fortunate, somebody who was actually good or somebody who in his post career playing days is articulate, who's good, who's well-respected, who people seek out their opinion. He's none of those things. <laughs> He's none of those things. He was a, a far below average quarterback who just kind of hung around because he was a backup, you know, and backup quarterback. I mean, that's the best gig in the world. You get paid, you can yeah. hang around forever. You can get, you know, but why on earth would you hire this guy to pitch anything? That's what I don't understand. Like, it's just insanity. Uh, talk about uh pitch man. The, the, there's one former NFL QB who I think should, would be a successful pitch man after he retires is Jimmy G because that's someone who has talked to himself or smiled himself into over a hundred million dollars in the NFL, despite playing maybe I think one full season. Uh, he's got that million dollar smile. That guy, just give him a product. He'll smile and people will buy millions of millions of them like that. That is a pitch man waiting to happen. Post playing career, Jimmy G. Yeah, he, he, that would make sense. I'm not sure why he hasn't done that yet because yeah, he's they, they tried to market him as the, as the I guess the Tom Brady ish because I guess he was on the same team. So, but yeah, I'm surprised he's not one of those uh, product hawks. But uh, but yeah, so we've got next week against the Titans, and then a couple more weeks after that, and then football is actually going to be a real thing. So, um, I'm sure I'm sure they're going to be a, a billion terrible takes on X and elsewhere, and. We'll be here for it. Um, I definitely want to do another one of these next week. So if you have an, a, any inquiries or questions, email us at entitledweekend at gmail.com. Um, Mark is at Mark Maselli 13 Rob is at Hoodies, Hoodies Supremus. And I'm at Atomic Dog 5150 and Entitled Weekend. So you, all our episodes are there. And until next time, never go full the dart. <laughs>